Momentarily for class solidarity, cash circulating, give the masses back its currency. Greed from elites, oligarchs, stay fed, deep state, faith fed, everybody break bread. Racism, homophobia, sexism, religion, and this melted pot. We live in time to build a new system, unionize labor rights, highlight the issue. Talking heads left is best. The saga continues. Continues. The No Miki Show. Hello and welcome to the Nomiki Show. I am Nomiki Konst. Tonight, the Democratic candidates for mayor of New York City meet in their first actual debate live on television and radio, almost as if this is a real election with real stakes, not the, the, the stultifying Zoom conversations that we've had so far. This is the moment that both candidates and journalists need to step up. Election day is June 22nd in New York City. They need to lay out the crisis that New York faces, is facing, and how they plan to address it. How? We don't need build back better slogans. We need clarity about the challenge and courage about real solutions. We need a wake up call. We've been living in a delusional space where our politicians don't seem to have a firm understanding of the crisis that led us here and how it's about to get a whole lot worse. Ask Puerto Ricans. They know what happens when you don't deal with crises and then you're faced with another crisis and how everything compounds and the most vulnerable people suffer. That is what New York is going through right now. And I don't even think most reporters, most politicians, and maybe some voters recognize just how numb we are to the broken subway, failed public schools, our housing crisis. They're more concerned with the New York Post headlines or the 24 second news cycle or the gossip. Since the debate is still a few hours away, I will start. <laughs> and maybe this will inspire the journalists at tonight's debate to toughen up their questions and the candidates to sharpen their answers, maybe. So we all know that the pandemic flattened New York far worse than the country as a whole. Why is that and what do we do about it? The answer can be summed up in one word, inequality. The extraordinary disparities in wealth and power in New York City made us especially vulnerable. And addressing the inequality is the only reliable road to repairing the damage. We can't just talk about this. We've been doing that for years. The time for a tale of two cities sound bites is done. The time of, of, of tale of two-faced politicians is over too. We need a new mayor who is all, all in on the key steps and ready to speak truth to every power and constituency in New York, even those that no one ever wants to touch, like the real estate industry. And tonight is the night to start. We need a public health care system that actually protects everyone from what just happened. Call it Medicare for all or rebrand it, but we need to do it. New York has always led the way on great public health services. It is time to do that again so that this never happens again. We need a public transit system that is funded and free and reliable and safe. I don't mean the safe that the, the New York Post, I'm saying safe, like, you know, doesn't break down and put people at risk. That is how you know, the majority of New Yorkers get to work, working people 
through our public transit system, but the system is falling apart. It's in shambles, it doesn't show up. The next mayor and the next governor need to fix it and to fund it. Did I say fund? Yes, I meant fund. We need a housing that people can afford to live in or they won't live anymore in New York. We need available housing. We need improved and funded public housing. We need public schools that teach everyone and are funded. Hmm. We need good jobs and good wages, you know, higher pay so that you can afford to live in your newly rezoned neighborhood uh, that has shut out all the small businesses. You gotta be able to afford to buy those $6 coffees. We need the wealthy, the wealthy to pay their share, their fair share for the privilege of living in their apartment mansions high above the rest of us, those glass towers. We need to say no to all of the tax breaks and the zoning deals that make developers richer and the city poorer, both financially and civically and, starve our, and, and, and are starving our city. These are policies, but I wanna hear the candidates also talk about one more thing. How do they plan to get all of us pulling in the same direction to achieve these goals. Having a good position doesn't mean a damn thing if you don't have the strategy and the temperament to put together a coalition to make things happen. I say temperament for a reason because if you've been paying attention to the de Blasio Cuomo scenario, then you know what I'm talking about. I wanna hear each and every candidate explain what in their backgrounds will make me confident that they know how to get these things done. So uh, I am a, a fan of Josh Greenman, the ener energetic editorial page director of the Daily News, uh, the New York Daily News. But on something he said the other day, I have to dissent. He said, this was a really good field of candidates. Really? Mm, I'm sorry, Josh, I'm not seeing it. What I am seeing is a new campaign finance system, uh, a matching fund system, which is supposed to be good for democracy, where every dollar raised gets eight more dollars from the government. I know because I was part of it. But this system is making consultants rich, but doing nothing to engage the majority, the vast majority of citizens, meaning turnout is still horrifyingly low in these elections. So if that money is being used to reach voters, are they just likely voters? How are we improving the voter turnout in these elections? We have Imitation, I'm saying this for a reason, power brokers who are using all of that money and the lack of public interest to build their own fiefdoms rather than finding strong leaders who would make great, great mayor, mayors. And they use the ranked choice system, a new system that's supposed to be good for democracy to run more candidates, many of whom really have no shot at being mayor or qualifications. And they use those candidates to create factions and alliances to beat up on candidates that they don't want. It's bad that we still have so much machine politics in New York. It is really bad that the machines are so broken and incompetent that they couldn't even find stronger candidates for this race, stronger candidates that could manage this crisis, stronger candidates that understand in their bones the level of inequality, not just on a policy paper, but in their bones. And then they have the abilities to build the coalitions, build the team and manage the crisis. But the truth is, I don't really care in the end if it's a weak field or a strong field. I care that the candidate, that one candidate rises above the uninspiring campaign that we've had so far. And, and make it really clear how you will lead the recovery of New York City. We need boldness 
We need progressive values. We need effective leadership. Andrew Yang has sucked a lot of air out of this campaign with the help of some pretty shallow media. But the truth is that his agenda would be a new version of drop dead New York. Andrew Yang is a walking billboard for drop dead New York. And we cannot have that. We, can't, we need a, a candidate to grab the spotlight away from Yang starting tonight and then make it clear why they should be mayor of New York. For the love of God, ranked choice voting was supposed to make it easier to support many candidates you like that we think are good. But right now, I can't even pick one who I think has the ideas and abilities to manage this crisis. And that is a problem. I'll be watching tonight. I hope you will too. And maybe we'll cover it tomorrow on the show. But today we have a great show. Uh, Carrie Sheffield is on. She's going to be discussing cancel culture and the right. This is a little change of pace here. Uh, so that'll be interesting. And then later we have Arun Chowdhury, who is here to talk about the Mideast, what's going on in the Mideast, as we've been watching closely, Italy, and a little bit of stuff here at home. We'll be right back. <laughs> Carrie just said hello in the chat. A little behind the scenes stuff here. Carrie Sheffield is a senior fellow at the Independent Women's Forum. Uh, she is a columnist and broadcaster uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, the Independent Women's Forum is a conservative nonprofit uh, organization that focuses on economic policy issues of concern to women. Uh, all right. Carrie, welcome to the leftist space. Are you ready to go? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. My Let's friend, it. it's so good to see you. We've I know it's been a while. So long. I know it's so good to just reconnect with you. <laughs> Carrie, just for folks to know, Carrie and I used to be sparring partners on many, many a cable news networks. And then she had uh, her own channel. She launched Bold TV. Um, how many years was that? How, how, how long were you over there? Uh, that it was November 30th, 2015. So it's about five and a half years. Uh, I sold that property to a foundation. So it's still running. Folks can still check it out. Uh, but I ran it for about three and a half, four years and uh, sold it December 2019. So now I am just plugging away in. I'm actually in, in Texas right now visiting family, but have been spending a lot of time in the swamp. And Namika, I've been following all your travels. Uh, it looks super. I mean, you're just like having a blast there in Puerto Rico, and I, I just want to be having a blast. I'm filming. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have bags. I can't even tell you how exhausted I am. Uh, I you look love, gorgeous, I, honey. You look gorgeous. Lighting, as you know very well, this is all lighting. <laughs> yeah. Camera, people are like, oh, no, me, get some sleep. Um, I would love to be uh, saying that it was, it was, you know, I'm gallivanting, but uh, I'm, I'm filming. Even this morning, we got up so early to go film somebody. It's just been a, uh, you know, but it's, it's good work. I shouldn't, I shouldn't complain. I could be doing it in the tundra. And instead we decided to do a documentary in Puerto Rico, which has a lot of problems. I'm not going to denounce it, but it does help that I've been getting a tan while I'm out shooting. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, yes, you are totally right. You could, I, I went to Antarctica actually a few years ago. You could be shooting down there, but don't go I now. Because do that. Go during, go during our winter. Cause it's their summer. That's when you should do it. I thought Antar you want to see Antarctica looking cold, no? I mean, well, for, for tourism purposes, I went when it was summertime down there and I went to the very tip of the peninsula, which was pretty much not roughing it at all. In fact, we had a 90 year old on the boat and I'm like, I have zero excuse to be scared for this. <laughs> There's a 90 year old on the boat. He can do it. I can do it. 
He's probably been training his whole life for it. Um, see, we can talk to each other. This is an interesting situation. Yes. This is a, uh, it's just coffee talk. So let's get, let's get, let's get into this. Um, the right wing is obsessed with cancel culture. And I'd say that the left wing is, meaning my wing of the Democratic Party and, and beyond, not even Democrats in most cases, are, are, are like, hi, remember when uh, you canceled so many different groups of people? Oh, you can list off. I'm trying to be very nice right now. Uh, so so why, what, what is the obsession with, what do you mean by cancel culture on the right? Like, who does this apply to? Uh, yeah, and you know, it's very interesting that you point out that hypocrisy. And I was talking about this with my brother, who is not far right, about this very thing. And I give him credit about, yes, there is a history of conservatives when when we were, you know, more controlling or more powerful in media, Hollywood, academia, which I would say in the 60s, basically, you guys took over it all. Um, when we were more powerful in culture, uh, we were always trying to cancel people. Um, and I think that the, the shark has jumped. Um, I think that when we're talking, at least how I think of cancel culture, um, it's a toxic thing. It's when you are trying to shut down legitimate debate or you're trying to marginalize and demonize people who have good faith uh, disagreement. That's the toxic part of it. I think uh, there is obviously uh, you know, lots of cases where someone has said something that is truly blatantly offensive or wrong or racist or what have you, and those people should be penalized. They should face repercussions for their, you know, what they did. Um, but I think that it also leads to questions of, okay, well then how do we rehabilitate someone who has done that if they have shown that they are, you know, they want to change? Um, and I think we're seeing more and more examples of people who are from the left who are now sowing what they reaped. Or sorry, I just totally butchered that. They're reaping what they sowed. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, um, Alexi McCammond, who, and I, I know Alexi, I worked with her a bit when I was advising Bustle.com because uh, she got her start there and built up her chops at Bustle and then moved on to Axios and then NBC and then got that offer for Teen Vogue. Mm -hmm. um, but she was coming at this from a very, very liberal perspective, writing lots of stories, doing lots of TV interviews about what she saw as racism, you know, she's half African-American. So she was calling out, you know, the critical race theory, supporting that, uh, doing lots of things that really irk people like me conservatively. Um, and then she got canceled. She, she got fired from her job for tweets that she had made 10 years ago, I think in some cases as a teenager. Um, she apologized for them. Uh, they, were, they were racist tweets. They were very offensive uh, against Asian Americans. And you know the, the, the Teen Vogue people, they had known about these tweets. And what was very interesting, I think, was they only chose to fire her when you had sponsors who said they were gonna back out. And I was like, you know, that's not very principled, but either either you're going to stand behind her all the way um, or you're going to not hire her. But that's very typical, I mean, in in, in all media. I mean, look, at it took uh, Bill O'Reilly, who we both know, uh, <laughs> it took sponsors to pull out a Bill O'Reilly show, even though he had exhibited multiple times and gotten caught and gotten in trouble, uh, many forms of behavior that were investigated inappropriate other women lost their jobs as a result but it took the sponsors to get that's you know that's 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 sort of um unfortunately a new form of, of a theory of change for for many not just on the left or, or right or wherever it's it's how do you how do you demonetize somebody so that they can't exist in universe um and support themselves and also you know push their message so i want to go back to something though because you mentioned how the left controls the media and i have to tell you 
I just don't buy this for a whole lot of reasons. Uh, I don't buy this. I think a lot of people don't buy this. First off, um, Fox News, for example, is is the largest news network. Uh, it has it has been at least uh, has the highest ratings. Uh, there are <laughs> there are absolutely zero uh, people from my wing of 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 the Democratic Party on TV anymore, uh, including myself. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, hey, where people, are we right now? Well, that's true. We're on YouTube. But meanwhile, um, you know, the, the the top top eight, you know, every week they come out with the numbers. Uh, shows on Facebook come from the right wing. Dan Bongino and 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 uh, uh, Ben Shapiro. I mean, all people that we've we've been on TV with. Uh, these are the people who are making the most money, have the largest audiences, and also the algorithms are supporting them, which is something I say over and over. You and I both know when we go on cable news, we get good ratings. You and I both know that. They would not have, have had us back on arguing with each other if we didn't know that we were good on TV. Yet, <laughs> when left into the universe on our own, it's... The algorithm is supporting people like Ben Shapiro, people who are, uh, of course, Alex Jones. I mean, they literally had to put a stop to it because the infrastructure of, of the media was built to push certain ideas, certain voices, certain genders uh, out more. And, 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 and I think, you know, I think I just, I, I, my, my thought about like when I hear conservatives say this, meanwhile, the Koch brothers have, I, I don't understand. I don't understand why conservatives are constantly like, we don't have any power. It's, it's, they want to continue this narrative of victimhood, but the reality is, is not only does, do conservatives have power, they have the money that we don't have on our side. I'm not saying that there aren't wealthy Democrats, but like, we just don't have the Koch brothers investing in state legislatures across the country and gerrymandering uh, the, the the country to death. We just don't. We haven't put the resources in those places, um, and we don't have those resources. So, and you know, you have you, there are institutions that they've backed. We don't have any of that. Well, I, I Nubika, I love that we can have this conversation and go back and forth. So, uh, a few things. So, first of all, I have to disclose I actually used to work for the Koch brothers. Uh, I helped them See? with their millennial <laughs> outreach. But, but let me tell you, Namiki, in 2020, they actually said, we are going to support Democrats. And they did. Uh, they said, we are, uh, we're frustrated with what's happened. They, Trump and, uh, you know, Charles Koch were going at it. So uh, if you want to say that they're monolithic, they're really not. Um, I haven't worked for them for several years, but. Did they support the point, Joe Biden though? Did they support Joe Biden? Uh, I I don't know if he's publicly said who we voted for. It's a good question. I'm sure our well, that's audience- voting. Yeah, but, but like- they, No, but they, they, I think they were agnostic as far as financial support. But uh, but I wanna say as far as the, the social media and monetizing, as you and I both know, an audience on social media is a lot harder to monetize. So yeah, maybe Bongino might be getting a lot more eyeballs on social media and Ben Shapiro. It's a lot harder to convert that over into advertising dollars. And so I, what I would say in response to what you said about Fox News, it's the largest cable news uh, company. It is certainly not the largest news uh, TV news outlet out there. NBC News, CBS News, ABC News, 
behemoths. And you add that all up, I think Laura Logan gave it the perfect analogy, which is conservative media is like the wailing wall. We're talking a lot about Jerusalem, which is a whole other topic you and I, I can discuss. But the women's section on the Western Wall is like this compared to the men's section. And that's how I can read you some stats, for example. This is from Gallup. Gallup found that uh, trust in media has fallen among Americans. It was 70% during the time of Nixon. It's only 40% uh, trust in media and confidence in the honesty of the media. That's a 30% drop. And he said the biggest drop was among conservatives and Republicans. So they're the ones who feel as myself, uh, frustrated. And when you look at the actual self-identification of people who work in the media, so here's something from Pew. So Pew Research surveyed more than 500 reporters and editors. They found that 34% of those in the national media identified themselves as liberal, but only 7% conservative. But when you look at the general public, 20% of the general public said they described themselves as liberal and 33% conservative. So you have a huge mismatch between people in the media self-identifying as liberal compared to the rest of the public. And the same thing with conservatives, it's far fewer. Same thing, another study from Indiana University found the same thing. 7% of journalists call themselves Republicans, 28% as Democrats. It, that's that's a you know three to one ratio right there. So it's it's just I get, not to mention there's a geographic bias. Here's some more data. I'm going to throw some more facts at you, Nomiki. So this is uh, from Pew. They found that journalists from the Midwest and the South, with the, which are generally more conservative places, they are way underrepresented when it comes to online journalists. So the journalism jobs in online media, uh, you know. 37% of people are from the South, 30%, 37% of all workers, but they're only 21% of internet news company jobs. Um, and then- Well, maybe the, maybe maybe hedge funds shouldn't have come in and uh, bought up all the newspapers and sliced and diced them and gotten rid of these journalists. So we'd have a no, better I mean, pipeline in these communities. No, but I'm just, I'm just saying if it, you, uh, the pipeline itself, whatever jobs remain, uh, mm -hmm. are not being accurately represented from a proportional standpoint well, do you think for that people who are from conservative areas. You, I mean, I hear you on that, okay? But uh, lots of thoughts here. The first being uh, corporate media, as as Dorsey <laughs> has just messaged me as, as well. Corporate media is not left, let's just be clear. Uh, it's corporate, corporate is corporate. And if a corporation decides not to go in a right-wing direction, that's their choice, but they're definitely not going in Bernie Sanders' direction. I think we can both agree on that. Um, second- mm, I don't know, I don't know about that it, because because corporations, <laughs> that, that's what, no, <laughs> Can I say? I, I got a, an ultimatum from a cable news network about changing my opinion on Bernie Sanders or else I essentially would not be able to go back on. That's not true at all. That's not but true I, at all. He goes, no, he but can go mean, on to defend his point. Is, what I'm saying is, is Joe Biden's $6 trillion plan to completely reconfigure the economy is actually a Joe Biden or a, a, a Bernie Sanders kissed plan. I mean, that's, I, I don't know what more you want, Nomiki. Joe Biden has embraced what you want. Not to I mention, want. let me- The country yes. is starving and you have to actually fix it. You can't just funnel it into uh, projects like, like I mean, listen, tax breaks for, for, for the wealthy. I mean, this is, this is the, the, we have moved so far right that something that most presidents would have done, including Nixon, investing in infrastructure, which should not be a debatable thing at this point in our, we have, I'm, I, I had a flat tire today because I went into a gaping hole in Puerto Rico and I'm sitting here going, because it's, nothing is being funded. And this is, so 
this was never controversial, but we've moved so far right that now suddenly things that were not controversial under Nixon is controversial. It's not a Bernie Sanders plan. It's a responsible leadership plan. The country is starving. It's in shambles. It's falling apart. You know, not everybody has a helicopter that they can take to, to their, their meetings. But Namiki, the problem is that Biden's plan was less than 6% actual infrastructure. It's like, where's the beef? Where's the infrastructure? He wrapped it into this $6 trillion spending plan that he wants us to. So it's like, yes. And in fact, that the Republicans who met with him yesterday, they said, okay, let's, let's define what is the definition of infrastructure. It is not all these other things like, uh, you know, the, the giveaways that are going to go on our shoulders. Like the like debt, the debt that's going to go um, when, you know, I personally, I don't think that government should be in the business of, uh, you know, we should have families raising children. It shouldn't be the government going in there and telling you how to raise your kids. Ooh, but he wants to do more about? of that. No, he wants, uh, to, child, he, he, he wants to give funds no. to people so they, they they can get back to work. That's not, they're not no. sending in nannies to your house and, and nannying yes, you. <laughs> no, no, not to mention. Okay, let me tell you something else. The uh, which I, I think you'll actually find this to be interesting. The um, so the Biden plan says that families earning 1.5 times their state median incomes will pay no more than seven percent of their income on childcare. You know what? 1.5 times the state median income is. That is not poor. So in California, that's $121,000. In New York, that's $108,000. But the thing is, that's the same no matter where you live. It doesn't matter if you live in, in the core urban area or you live out in a rural area. You're basically going to get a lot more money. It, it, there's, it's all a one-size-fits-all plan. So basically, this plan is going to be subsidizing wealthy families and getting them tax-subsidized debt like I said, that's going to be on our generation to pay for these rich families so they can have free childcare. I have a problem with that. And I don't think that that has anything to do with infrastructure. But let me respond one directly to the, the point on cancel culture as far as yes, corporations, because you said that corporate media is not conservative media. And that's a big issue that a lot of conservatives have right now is seeing the direction that corporations have been taking. So I just did a post yesterday uh, for the Washington Examiner, which has uh, got a lot of success on the internet and is conservative leaning. Um, but so I, I, I acknowledge this for us. Um, but, uh, but Walmart is now putting critical race theory in its employee training handbook. And critical race theory is toxic, it's divisive, it pits different racial groups against each other. And that's not conservative. And you're seeing it over and over in corporate, whether that's Disney, uh, NBC does it. I mean, it's it's everywhere. So I, I don't think that conservative equals corporate uh, right now, especially. Well, definitely financially corporate. And I think our version of the left it understands the intersection between how uh, how corporates exploiting workers, which generally are the majority, are uh, you know late, low wage workers, are women and 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 people of color, and in some cases, um, you know immigrants, and the business model of their corporations, and of course the media uh, skirts away from topics that highlight these you know these these inequities in our country. Um, so, so there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, Carrie, what I find really fascinating about the right right now is a sense of disempowerment. 
do you, you know, you, you're talking about the debt and I, and I, I love when Republicans bring up the debt because when you talk to voters, no voter, unless they're above a certain uh, income level brings up the debt. And especially not right now when the country's, you know, dealing with their own personal debt. Most voters don't go to the polls and vote on the debt. They vote on uh, the potholes. <laughs> Literally today, I was like, I will vote for whoever fixes that pothole. <laughs> you got me, you got me. <laughs> but they vote on the potholes. They vote on healthcare. They vote on whether or not education is being funded. They vote on you know, the bread and butter issues that most Americans you know, are dealing with right now. And those are you know, healthcare. Uh, those are whether or not you know, you, student debt, for instance. So why is there just, I mean, the debt, we could talk about Stephanie Kelton's book. I don't know if you've read her book and I definitely um, urge you to. It's about the deficit in particular, the deficit myth. Why do some Republicans love to talk about this when the reality is, is it's not really a voter issue? Like it's not something that most people go to the polls and, and vote on strategically. I'm just, I'm just throwing you like a, some, some advice, some uh, <laughs> advice to win elections. Like Donald Trump never talked about the well, death. Anyone. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that, that's an interesting, unfortunately, I, and I even said this when he was in office, the things he did, his spending bothered me. Uh, the things that, I mean, and I know that toward the end with the coronavirus, there was a lot of spending that people said, this is something that's, you know, it's a wartime type scenario. So you got to spend more. Um, so, but leaving that aside, even before that, um, there are a lot of things that he was doing that I thought were going too far in terms of spending, but for, for debt, um, I mean, it, it should be on everyone's mind. It should be because if you're looking at, so I was reading about the interest so our interest payments are we're talking about interest alone federal budget that is dangerous i mean think about that if you are if your personal budget was spending that much just to pay down the interest on your credit cards that would be a big problem this is not sustainable because it's it's just it, at some point the value of your dollar is going to be like wheelbarrows full of cash because that's what's happening right now our federal reserve is just printing out money and it, it's like this is the solution. So a lot of conservatives that the position in federal is something we talk about ad infinitive. Talk to any libertarian, as I'm sure you know, um, they're obsessed with it. But um, but the more debt you lay on, the less valuable a dollar is because uh, the more you're basically living off of monopoly money and it's not real. It's not based on what's happening now. So it is a big problem. And when you look at polling, I was looking at some polling last week from, it was from Harvard and, and Harris X, uh, which works with Mark Penn, who was a Clinton pollster, sorry, um, but it was Bill Clinton pollster. But, um, yeah. but uh, just to say it wasn't, you know, hard right pollster. So he probably supports your point because Bill Clinton was obsessed with balancing a budget. <laughs> well, yes, exactly. It, 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 and it was Harvard also, which is which is definitely not a conservative place. But um, but yeah, they, they, they asked about the- I'm like not an- like, we, we are not even on the same page about that. Yes. Oh, yes. All of the famous socialists who came out of Harvard and became president. Yes, yes, yes. Not the- uh, Okay, anyways, go ahead. <laughs> But yeah, no, but compared, yes, polar opposite worldviews, which, which I, and to be honest, to the, to the broader conversation on cancel culture, just to bring mm -hmm. it back, I think Bernie Sanders supporters, generally speaking, are more open-minded and you guys are not as uh, close-minded as a lot of people I find who are more in the establishment of the left, uh, where you are shutting down where, you know, not you, but the, the more establishment left, I think is, uh, 
closing down uh, more people's voices and uh, people who are more independent like you are more willing to have a dialogue like you and I are having. Um, and that's that's how I think our country gets less polarized that even if, if I'm not gonna change your mind and you're not gonna change my mind, that process yeah. of humanizing each other and having these dialogues, it is important in and of itself because that's what's missing right now. I, you know, I, I think so. And it's, it's good to debate these things too. I mean, I can, I get really concerned when I see um, some hosts bring on folks that don't challenge their ideas and then it normalizes them in a different way. So there's an opposite version of, of what you and I are doing in which hosts will platform um, people who may not, you know, it's a Joe Rogan. What did I say? So Joe Rogan, <laughs> Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Maybe Rogan you need Dr. to go Fauci on Joe on. Rogan. Yeah, I, I would do it just so I could talk about you know feminism for a little bit. Um, no, so many things. I would I would say please That's instead of me, <laughs> have Dr. Fauci on. That's what I would like just to see how he. Oh, he, oh, he I would love out. that. I would yeah. love that. I mean, look, I don't know where you are on the origins of the COVID, but it's like, hot damn! If this report's true that we were actually paying to create the, you know, the, the gene evolution that allowed for this to jump to humans. And that was coming from NIH money. I mean, yeah, I went on Fox to talk about that and I'm, I'm done with that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So let's, uh, we have a couple of minutes left, but I, I, um, I just want to say, you know, first off, thank you for coming on. I, I would love to have you back on. We can pick topics to debate because I do think it's, it's really fun and healthy and, uh, you know, and more female voices, but, um, you know, I appreciate your time and your willingness to talk to us about cancel culture. It does exist on the left too, trust me. And it is something that we, I believe are striving in a certain faction of the left to work through and hopefully have more open and honest, um, dialogues about what it means to cancel somebody. And and as you said, rehabilitating people is great and we should fund those rehabilitation programs with uh, rich taxpayers, the rich people who are not being taxed. So if you wanna, if you're concerned about the debt, maybe we should, um, you know, start taxing some of the wealthiest. Just, just throwing that out there. Uh, Carrie Sheffield, thank you so much. We really appreciate <laughs> okay. you. Thanks, Namiki. Take care. <laughs> Take Bye -bye. care. Welcome back to the Nomi Key Show. Run Chowdhury. Whoa, that hair, man. That hair is really making waves. This is yeah. this is getting this is this is quite a magical experience. In Germany, I'll walk have... you through how long it takes. <laughs> uh, and I'm gonna be in Kosovo soon and I'm making a decision. It's not like I've had a lot of great luck in Germany. It was okay. Uh, about whether or not I'm gonna let a new nation cut my hair. <laughs> Because it's different. It's one of the things that doesn't always translate, uh, as I think, especially <laughs> many of your audience of color will understand 100%. You know, hair doesn't travel as well as the rest of us sometimes. So we'll see. We'll see. Wait, we can wait. have a whole thing about it. And also the hard water. We, we, there's, yeah. Oh, my God. I've noticed that there's traveling. I just started. We could, I, I, let's talk about hair for the next 20 minutes. I think that's actually a better idea. You know, there's an amazing <laughs> journalist uh, from Athens who you would love, Sarah Suli, uh, who is my sort of go to hair person when I have questions. And we should have her on and talk about hair because she is actually just full of all kinds of amazing good advice. I didn't ever have an, I'm very blessed to have been gifted with hair that did not have issues until I started dyeing it. And now I'm like, whoa, that's why there are all these products. This is crazy. 
I just would wake up in the morning. We also don't like to admit it, but our hair changes as we get older. And sometimes we need to buy new things to put into it. The reason why I have the hair dyed now is because the, the, the grays are all coming in right here in the front. Thank you so much, Harry Cons, to my dad, who went prematurely gray, and my grandmother, who was silver by the time she was 25. I got those jeans. Yeah. Um, anyways, it could be worse. Let's let's just move on. Let's talk about okay, okay, uh, okay. stuff that is worse, for sure. Okay. You host, uh, Arun Chowdhury is the host of the committee program. He is the former chief videographer, chief videographer, I don't know if I just added that, official White House videographer. It's because Pete Souza was the chief photographer, and I think people just want to translate that across, which is sort of right, except when there's one person, it's not that interesting. I'll still call you the chief videographer for the White House at uh, the Obama White House, and then he uh, later worked as the creative director for, uh, you know, the Bernie Sanders 2016 campaign the better one, in my opinion, the more fun one. I called it Woodstock to someone yesterday. <laughs> I was like, it's alien. Like and there's nothing wrong with aliens. It's a perfectly fine movie and they should be proud of it. But alien oh. was still alien. I don't think I ever watched alien. I'll watch it. Okay. Uh, let's talk about real stuff. So you host a committee program, which is very much heavily focused on international politics and, and yeah. scenarios. Uh, you work in that space as well <clears throat> from Berlin. Let's talk about what's happening in Israel and Palestine. Can you explain yeah. it to our audience why this escalation uh, seems to be different than previous escalations, um, which are all horrifying and and representative of a conflict that we're all familiar with. And we're familiar with, but I think somehow still it's not totally communicated right. And I, I was privileged enough to work on a documentary um, during uh, 2003, right when the Iraq invasion. Yeah, so right around there, two or three times, spent uh, a decent amount of time in Gaza and in the West Bank. And that's sort of where I formed a lot of my opinions on it, was just sort of seeing it. And I can't stress enough sort of how much being there has that effect on people, because we do get information in America from so many sources and from so many people about the Israel-Palestine situation. And so much of it is muddying. You know, so much of it is, ah, this is complicated, it's intractable, ancient things, magic books, but it's actually not really, right? There's actually only totally 100 years of history and, and, and the causes and effects are real and you can see them. And I think that's the big difference is people are starting to see this as a problem that needs to be solved instead of as sort of a mythic cause to be rushed into. And I think a lot of that has to do a little bit with little phones and cameras. So the mm. prevalence of smartphones means that people are actually seeing on the ground what's happening. And they can see, especially to the Palestinian population, the things that are happening to them, the warlike situations they're in, and not really that on the Israeli side, as much fear as parents may have for their kids from a stray rocket, from these things, etc. cetera. Uh, these things are, are, are not even remotely comparable. But this is like, again, we keep sort of being funny and we're talking about something intensely serious, but this is the new marijuana in that the public is moving so much faster on it than our elected mm -hmm. officials. I think the American street, if there's such a thing, do we ever say the American street, not of America, uh, but the American street is to the left of the squad on this issue right now and that they want accountability. They don't want aid to Israel without uh, anything behind it. Uh, so that feels different. To the left of some of the squad, we should some say. Some of the squad, but, but, yeah. but I mean, you know, impressively so, uh, either way, disappointingly so, depending on who you are. I think half of the squad is very good on this issue. <laughs> yeah, 
I have still seen some both sidesism. I think from Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, really. From Rashida, I, I actually was a little uh, look. I, I, am I calling out Rashida? No, absolutely not. And, and she knows. Don't shimmy door the situation, please. Yeah, yeah, no, not at all, not at all. But I'm saying, like, I think the pressures people feel politically don't translate down, and when that's all that's left, yeah. you're seeing that part of the edifice standing. Um, I, I, we talked about uh, on the majority report where I was lucky enough to be invited, thank you, Nomi, um, about social media and seeing my Jewish relatives sort of this time not really weighing in. So I think that's happening and yet not just even elected officials. Also, I saw a kind of milk toast email from J Street. Uh, it, it, the, the Biden administration certainly doesn't seem to care enough to do anything about it. So something is different and yet it's not having any kind of political outcome. So I do want to sound hopeful in that we're seeing this thing change in the opinions massively. Yeah. But the fruits are not ripe yet. And, and of course the media is, is not doing anything um, to the, the corporate media, I should say, it's not no. doing anything to, uh, to, to challenge the narratives. There have been a couple of instances. I, there was a, there was a photo that was um, pushed out <laughs> and it, it, it showed, it was an older photo that I- 2018. Watched. Yeah. And finally, you know, like uh, some media said, we're sorry, we used an old photo of, that was not relevant. So um, on that note, there is a political dynamic that is different in Israel right now too. And, and yes. you know, can you talk through like the state of Netanyahu? Because just one thing well, I'll throw out here, real one thing I'll throw out there real quick that I think might another reason why I think this might be a little bit different, because it, similar things are happening all over the world, as you know very well. Even in Puerto Rico right now, I'm like, okay, something has shifted here. Will it change anything immediately? No, but the way status is being dealt with here is different in a way that. I have not seen in the past or others have not. They've had referendums, there's been, but but I think it is a result also of a generation of leadership around the world of centrist, neoliberal, neocon leadership that has utterly failed, not shown up, not been able to fight off the far right and or has decided with the far right. And so what's 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 well, the scenario with Netanyahu? Because I remember when Netanyahu- In, in was, Israel, you'd think there would be room Exactly what you're saying. You think there'd be room for uh, the kind of solid right to find some majority by allying with the center right, but that's not true. They actually get it by going to the far right and gathering up these uh, uh, ultra orthodox parties uh, and even flirting with you know some of the more radical uh, uh, religious elements of the Arab community, right? Like it's extremely cynical. So um, and on the left, it's hard to emphasize what a disaster the Israeli left is. And I'm sorry to all my comrades in Israel as I say this, but you know, whether it's the sort of ashes of um, labor or just all of this effort put into these centrist parties that are, I mean, trying to get people excited about people that make Joe Biden look like Mao Zedong, like 100%, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's really, it's hard to know where to go, but, but the kids, the movement, the thing that doesn't have any place to go mm -hmm. does play ball with some of this stuff and, and does with these centrist things, but they do interesting things and it is making an electoral difference. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing a bigger outreach to Arab, uh, Arab Israelis uh, in their communities, in their languages, smart relational organizing, this kind of thing. Um, you were seeing an amazing thing where mayors of Arab towns in Israel 
We're holding referendums on the same days as elections to get people. So if you're interested in a local issue, something you actually care about, but you feel yeah. disenfranchised as an Arab in Israel and you're like, I don't even know if I'm going to vote for, yeah. you know, yeah. who runs this place. I don't think anyone cares what I think, but I do care about if the street gets fixed. So I'm going to come out for that. that so by really ginning up those votes, that's where those extra votes mm -hmm. came that made Bibi nervous. Now, much like in Texas, the Israeli right knows that the way to suppress the vote is not to make it hard to vote, but just to keep voting over and over and over and over again. And that's a huge obstacle this time, is voter what fatigue. What do you mean by that? Um, they've, had, they've had five elections in the last, they will if they are forced to again in one year, which is like the year of five emperors. I mean, Rome didn't do much better at its worst. Uh, it's at each time it's like, yeah, baby, by a little less, uh, we don't care. Now by a little more. And I don't think there's the energy, especially with the vaccinations going well, yeah. and especially with all of this awful nationalist, ethno-nationalist stuff getting whipped up, which always blows the wind in his favor. I don't see it happening. Uh, I think his desire, again, he's a man under indictment, so he has a reason to get up early in the morning and work very hard. That's not just general evil, but that's also yeah. very self-serving and he's not lazy about it. And I it's think that like he Andrew is in Cuomo. power. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there's, these are, these are great these guys. Leadership. Hang on. They know how to People do it. Understand if you've, there are so many, it takes a certain type of politician to know how to, to ride an investigation and push through it. Like, like Andrew Cuomo has and, and, and Netanyahu um, and, and others. I mean, it's, it's yeah. The Clintons. Uh, yeah. And so anyways, let's, um let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, you want to talk about Italy? What's up with Italy? You know what? I want to make sure everyone is aware of a name, and that name uh -huh. is Georgia Maloney. And the reason I say that is because polls, for the first time, are now showing her party, Fratelli d'Italia, the Brothers of Italy, being equal to the Partito Democratico, you know, the uh, analog to the Democrats. Mm -hmm. And unlike Lega, which I think I've often talked about, kind of the talented Mr. Salvini, who's kind of half Nixon and half uh, Milo, you know, I have to have a good time. Are we racist? Maybe, but we're at the beach and it's a good time. That's not Maloney's trip. And in fact, the brothers uh, of Italy are the inheritors of the actual fascist movement. Like there is an actual from one to the other, you know, uh, Alejandra Mussolini, the granddaughter. Like, oh, yeah, know, we've like been this, watching this her. Is, yeah, this is a real thing. And now I think there's every indication um, that in the next elections, she will be prime minister. And I think it's interesting, number one, just we watch it. It's the bellwether, you know, of, of Europe and in many ways the world. So we do want to keep an eye on it. But the other thing is she's doing the thing that we talk about on this show every week. She finds the economic left weak points and just oozes in there. So now she's the only party who won't play ball with the recovery and so is able to criticize it. And she does it from a working class, class perspective. And she's not a Berlusconi talking to the sort of aspirational professional class. She actually is talking to working people in a passionate way, like she cares about them. And it's, I think it, it, it's, it's the stuff that, it's the stuff that's scary. It's the stuff that we want to keep an eye on, uh, even all the way from America. Those of us out here, this is exactly the kind of thing we need to check the weather of what's going on. And I think we've had a couple little wins, Biden being maybe one of the biggest that have kind of given people a false sense of the nativist reaction to kind of the neoliberal looting of the world for the last 40 years. 
mm-hmm. the predominant reaction to it has been from the right wing. Yeah. And unless powerful messaging is adopted, it will continue to be a question of status quo versus right wing. And what that's are, an are, argument that working people lose. What are the spots in, um, in Europe right now? Germany. That close? Germany? Germany is incredibly interesting uh, in that the Green Party is actually running ahead. Uh, no, no, no. And, I'm, it, and my question is, I'm sorry. My question is, what oh, other spots in Europe right now have, fla- uh, have fascist hotspots? Or, or yeah, hot well, spots. I mean, of course there's Hungary. And, and, and I think when we talk about international solidarity, they're so smart. The digital people that are working on the ground, they've gotten an opposition person in power of Budapest, which matters a lot. Orban is an old school fascist, right? He is, you know, a sort of traditional, maybe we should kill everyone who doesn't look like us kind of fascist and, and, and quite open about it. And uh, seeing how that is resisted by the folks there, I think matters as much to us here. And I think mm-hmm. the, a lot of digital technology they're using there is interesting. And again, I hate to talk shop and not theory here, but I can't help it. One of the things that they, they do there is they use messenger bots. Um, What's that? Uh, like, you know, in Facebook, a chat bot. So instead of, oh, oh, oh. uh, yeah, and you think, oh, why would I want to do that? That sounds like a horrible experience. But actually it's not. It just automates a way for you to be able to give people content that then they can share themselves instead of them sharing it from your page. And like you'll hear from me all the time, no one cares what you think except for 20 people. And you really should concentrate your effort on convincing those 20 people and forget the other 2,000 who maybe like your post when you post it because you have a few friends on Facebook. This doesn't matter. You know, mm-hmm. it's those other 20 people. And so you can really... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So all you folks running out there, do look and do pay attention to your your messenger, your Facebook messenger. Once Facebook figures this out, they're going to start charging you for it. Uh, so forget about it. But then <clears throat> there's also other places to really keep an eye on, like Serbia. You know, people sort of think, oh, every country wants to be in the EU because this will sort of you know bring everyone together. And then again, it's a liberal idea. The once you're part of this free market with all of us we'll all be more liberal. Of course, Hungary, Poland, other places are proving this wrong by actually dragging the EU into things it doesn't want to be in. But Serbia has no interest in being in the EU because they are a regional power and they have other places that they can kick around. And so we have a country who, you know, is absolutely sort of just troublemakingly uh, trolling the West in so many ways, whether that is things they do and I don't begrudge them their alliance with Russia and with China, and these things make sense. Um, but you have, you know, openly stoking ethnic violences, openly doing things that no other country would get away with because people think somehow that will add to some sort of stability. And so Serbia is another really bad spot because not only are they destabilizing the region they're in and mm. using vaccine diplomacy very effectively in that way, they're the only people mm. because they have tons in China, of Chinese and Russian vaccines. They, are able mm-hmm. to be a hub spot for it. But they, because of that, managed to flip some countries who recognize the independence of Kosovo, who of course broke away uh, you know, after a civil war in 2008 with the help of the United States and other uh, allies. Uh, they actually have flipped some countries from recognizing them to not recognizing them. Oh my and God. So this, yeah, so it, it's absolutely sort of just shows you the transactional nature of diplomacy and that the right wing is willing to take care of that on a global scale. The same haplessness with power that you see on the local scale and that we talk about in the US Senate every day when we talk about our friend Chuck Schumer. This happens on the global scale too, where somehow the right seems to know how to manipulate power and the left just seems totally hapless. Well, I mean, we could have a long conversation about that and, and, and let's shift gears just for a second to the left in power um, with AOC. 
because there's a scenario right now where AOC is uh, amping up security because of her colleague. Uh, also, I'll editorialize and say uh, terrorist. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is a congresswoman who I say terrorist because it was a terrorist attack on the Capitol in which she uh, <laughs> encouraged, uh, I guess, um, is, is a cautious way of saying it with looking mm -hmm. soon. Um, so, so she, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, confronted AOC and, you know, their colleagues, right? But this and, and and there can be confrontations, but this is somebody who helped encourage uh, and supported the attacks on the Capitol against her own colleagues and herself. Um, so what's what's the deal here? What do you think is where do you you think that this is a bad move that she's amping up security? Is that is that what I'm hearing? I think that she should amp up security if she feels like she needs to amp up security. I think it's hard for us to judge how anyone feels, and certainly you know. Bot safety from bodily harm is something that we all place extremely highly. I don't think she comes across well in the communications war here. And I find that surprising because I think she in many ways is such a master communicator. Yeah. And normally she kind of gets as good as she gives when she fights uh, with Rep Green, right? You know, we've seen that, that footage from the floor where they're kind of in each other's faces and they sort of seem like each other's foils. And I think a lot of folks who live in New York and other places will watch this footage and be like, yeah, that crazy, like, you know, redneck QAnon lady better get away from my representative because that's not okay. But I don't know that that's how everyone else reads this. And I think that oh, there's a huge portion of the country that probably thinks that Rep Green came across better in this exchange and simply wanted to sort of have this debate. And I feel like AOC yeah, is so that... good at getting it under the skin of people that she shouldn't let yeah. this person get under her skin because it does yeah. feel like that a bit. I mean, I hear you, uh, but but you're never going to win those people that support Marjorie Taylor Greene. Of course, there's going to be people in the country who support her. We know what that, you know, of course they exist. And that's not, I don't know if this is an electoral thing. I don't know if AOC is sitting here saying, I can't. No, I think she honestly let her get under her skin. But but I, I hear you on that. But there's also just legitimacy that of her security. I mean, should yeah. she have just gotten security and was repressed really? Is, is that what you're saying? Like she shouldn't have really come out open about getting the security? Be I also think there's something about our generation. Yeah, I wouldn't because I think it's also self-fulfilling. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's also gender aspects of this too. So whether yeah, it's true. it's Marjorie, I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene, excuse me. Um, when a woman is feeling threat, like, like how many times people have not taken the security threats against AOC seriously as a woman in Congress? How many other women in Congress deal with this? How many other women in leadership? How many women in just in general have to deal with security situations? And sometimes it, we have to say it out loud because people that don't may be true and I'm not impact an others. Do you see what I'm and saying? I'm I do see what you're saying, and I'm not an expert, but in my minor expertise, uh, you know, just from, from Obama campaign and stuff, they were always super quiet about ramping up the extra stuff. And Obama had pretty, pretty impressive security very early on because of actual threats. You, you and, mean before, before he, he became president, because obviously he has incredible security as president. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, before, like campaign, much earlier than you'd normally get. And at first, they tried to be quiet about it. You can always tell. Those guys wear like brand new shirts from Odd Lot. And you're like, you're like that's the dude from the Secret Service. Uh, but still, you know, they, make, they go to the effort. 
but it was but it was yeah. a sort of a very quiet thing and i think there was an underlying theory that talking about security is in itself uh a yeah. way to get the crazies whipped yeah, yeah. up yeah but no sense. but like we live in an age of crazy and i think that's incredibly hard and you know especially if you were in the building and, and feeling like like things were coming in that doesn't mean it's a communications win though like i just right. feel like there's people who like her no matter what and people who hate her no matter what and for that very thin slice in the middle and it's so hard it's so hard what we want of our politicians they're characters they're brands they're themselves they're human being they're somebody's sister it's the whole thing you know and then yeah well and it's it's interesting tying it back to the original point about the left and and, and our ability to fight against the right we are not used to being in power and so you get better at understanding power and winning by being in power, you by winning. Meaning yeah. you know how to act in these situations. The more we have people in office, the more we understand the ramifications of talking about this, the more we understand how power works and functions. So, you know, it's, it's I know it's been hard for a lot of these members, these new members on the left to find uh, experienced I mean, staff. Experienced speaker would hopefully come into, you know, come into play. You'd hope at the end of one of Nancy Pelosi's pep talks to the team, it wouldn't be like, and make sure everybody sends 10 bucks to the party. It would be like, and if you ever feel threatened even slightly, like text yeah. this number and then she, don't think about it because it will be she handled. In. She's now calling for Marjorie Taylor Greene's uh, actions to be investigated. That's that's the latest from Nancy Pelosi in the last, you know, she, I mean, she knows how to actually do the stuff. I feel like the real, like to actually not grandstand on it, but like, yeah, yeah. you know, make there be processes by which people feel safe. Well, you know, Nancy's not letting a good opportunity go to waste, a good crisis go to waste. No. So yeah, it's yeah, time yeah, to yeah. go send those fundraising emails, guys. I mean, that's the other thing. Like there's there's that aspect too, where, where, where folks, um, like you said, it's really great to have a crazy enemy. <laughs> <laughs> for, for other reasons. She takes not, the cake though, and she's good. She's got one. she's got nothing to lose. So Rep Green's gonna be around and like, you know, she's gonna keep upping the ante and keep helping the ante until someone shuts her down. And the way you shut those piano people down is sort of like the way you shut McCarthy down or whatever. It has to happen like sudden and drastically. It's not like a nit you don't want to wound the animal, not to use like an unpleasant analogy. You want like a clean shot. And like it's I it's just Yep, yep. People don't know what they're doing. Um, if only Liz Cheney. <laughs> oh, the newest had, member of the resistance, Liz Cheney. The, about her. The, the, exactly, the mind of her father or the lack of a heart of her father to shut down Rip Taylor Green. What What's she going to be right now? now? Is What's like... going on in this world? Why are we? Oh, all right, uh, Arun Chowdhury, I got to go. I'm so sorry. Uh, I got to go do another like clippy thing. Um, yeah, okay. But you know, go to sleep. It's like midnight. Yeah, it's getting there here. It's getting yeah. there here. All right. All right. All right. Take care. <laughs> no. Go check out. Wait, 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 wait. Oh. Mondays, 3 p.m. Yes, Mondays right at 3 p.m. Right here. Please check out the committee program with myself. We run for three hours. We have a lot of cool segments. And if you want to learn more about the show, please visit us at fans.fm slash committee. Just as and you can see on the top. Find them on social media too, because you're on all the social media places. Yeah, as well. yeah, yeah, yeah. Committee program on Instagram, committee pro on Twitter, and then the committee program on Facebook. And Lots if you find me things. anywhere, it's easy enough to get where you're going. 
it's 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 a, it's a great show. It's well produced. Uh, runs a filmmaker, so he made sure that he put us to shame. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. Live from half of my door and half of my wall <laughs> <laughs> in a hotel room somewhere in San Juan, Puerto Rico, where the Wi-Fi has cut out today. Hey, when's the movie um, gonna be done? <laughs> Don't ask me that question. Are you doing that to get under my skin? I'm yeah. That. <laughs> See what I mean? Now, the proper communications would have been, actually, the more support we receive from the viewership, the sooner the film yeah. will be done. Of course, yeah. people should only give what they can. Thank you so much. That it's easy been. when it's someone else. It's hard oh, when it's yourself. <laughs> just so everybody knows, we've been, we've been working on this thing forever. And I just uh, did an assessment with like some of our, our the folks involved in this movie and it looks like i'm gonna be doing this till the end of days um so if you would like to contribute please let us know no it's important uh, and i'm really glad that you're there doing it because this is our country and nobody gives a shit and that's a problem yeah yeah and it's their country too the, the other way of saying it as well yeah yeah no that's what i meant it's like yeah like you Puerto know it's country yeah and they just had no choice in any of this stuff it's like can you imagine <laughs> yeah here <laughs> Here, you can never control anything. There's a pseudo-democracy here. No, uh, and if you care about Palestine, sort of yes. anybody, you know, and you don't care about Puerto Rico, you're doing the colonial thing wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, bingo. And it's not making them a state because first it's on them to decide, but also, um, you know, I think there's a lot of forces who support the statehood party that probably don't really want it to be a state because they're gonna lose their tax breaks. Yeah. Right, it's not in theory a bad thing. It's just the way that it's developed is such a poisonous road that there's no fruits to be had from that, like, you know, from that tree. Yeah. I say give Puerto Ricans their own democracy, give them uh, the ability to put the money that they're spending on taxes into their own island. This uh, is the, it's, yeah. it's not on, listen, it's not on my, me to decide, but it is definitely horrifying that hedge funds are profiting off of the status and the destruction of an island. Um, so, uh, great talking. <laughs> I gotta go do a thing now. Okay. Uh, have a wonderful day. Bye. I got some shout outs. Ecuton One, did I say that right? First time here, yay, welcome. Fire programming will support in the future. Great show, Nomiki, very grateful. Thank you so much, um, love that. That's, tell people, tell everyone. Uh, Midi Doctors says, establishment left. Hmm, I know exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's like, there's like machine politics left. There's definitely some of that. Dr. Dragon Rider, no meat is way too nice. Carrie just just did the best of right wing talking points. Researching pandemic is bad. What the, yeah, exactly. I I agree. There was a lot. I was listening to her and I was just like, what are the, the like the next things that I wanna bring up? But you know, we were trying to have a conversation and not yell, yell over each other. Um, so I had to go with whatever came to mind first. Uh, there were a lot of moments where I could have pushed back. Uh, but we only have so much time in this show. <laughs> Next time we'll just have her on for an hour. <laughs> uh, Kyla Rosado, can you have a critical race theory scholar on? I organize around eth ethnic studies and literally no one gets what CRT is. It's a, it's a literal legal field. Yeah, I, that was one of the things that I was like, this is such a big conversation. Um, that's not a bad idea. I'll, yeah, I'll go check it out. We'll, 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 we'll look into it. All right, everybody in the live chats, thank you so much on Twitch and on YouTube and huge thank you to all of our moderators, both on Twitch and YouTube. Uh, I, there were lots of trolls today, I guess. Maybe, maybe the right wing came over. I'm not sure what kind of trolls. I'll have to go back and look. Uh, you guys are awesome. Appreciate you. We will see you tomorrow for Fem Friday right here, 3 p.m. on Twitch and YouTube and at our patrons. We love you. 
Uh, and to folks who can afford to jump into and be patrons, please join us at patreon.com slash the Nomi Keys Show. Take care and stay in solidarity. Thank you.